Before we talk about Celtics Raptors, uh, I have to say a few words on Jamal Murray. First, his interview at the end of the game sent chills down my spine. To score 50 points, force a game seven, and then not say one word about basketball shows just how important basketball is. Um, this game is a platform for these guys. But like anyone who's hooped at somewhat of a high level, basketball is a sanctuary. It's therapeutic. I'm so glad that these players came together to make this happen. Uh, because although I use the word distraction when talking about the last, uh, talking about on the last pod, when talking about what basketball is for us fans, watching basketball is also therapy in that it is a distraction. We cannot be singularly focused on like this inundation of negativity that we see on social media and some people see in the real world. Yesterday, for me, it was nice to unplug from these issues that are pervading our society and allow my brain time to subconsciously work through them. Um, but I like I hope everyone is doing is keeping this movement on my mind because it isn't going away. We need to keep it at the forefront of our minds. For those of you who want to watch basketball and not think about politics, okay, allow yourself that reprieve during the game. But we need to keep thinking about how to make change and talking about how to manifest those thoughts into action, just like the NBA players are doing. Uh, so shout out Jamal Murray. That was an unbelievable interview after an epic game six to force a game seven. Um, I can't believe how amazing he's been. Um, I've always been high on Jamal Murray, but the, like many people have talked about, he's very inconsistent. You know, at 23 years old, he's really starting to blossom. And I tweeted out, uh, during the game, Jamal Murray reminds me of like the second coming of Brandon Roy. Um, I think Jamal Murray is the the healthy version of Brandon Roy. At 23 years old, this guy is dominating a playoff series against, you know, not a horrible defensive team. They got the defensive player of the year. Donovan Mitchell is super athletic. Royce O'Neal is a great defender. Angles, um, a little slow-footed, but he's long. He's, uh, he blocked that one shot. Um, so shout out Jamal Murray. Amazing performance, amazing interview. I can't wait for game seven. Um, but now let's talk about what we all came here for, Celtics Raptors. Here we go. for the Celtics went about as well as you could have hoped. Um, the Celtics came out. The defense was unbelievable. Their ability to get back in transition, their ability to disrupt the ball handlers and not let Kyle Lowry do what Kyle Lowry does, drawing fouls. They didn't let Van, v Van Vliet get off. They didn't even risk playing Enos Cantor to allow one of those two guards to start getting off in the high pick and roll. Um, 
I thought Brad Stevens' game plan was perfect. And it was pretty much the same game plan that they used uh, when we blew them out at the beginning of the bubble. Um, in terms of what the Raptors were doing, uh, it seemed like they were defensively uh, trying to get Tatum out of his rhythm by starting Lowry on Tatum, uh, which I understand why Josh Richardson did a pretty good job on Tatum and at the end of the Sixers series. Um, I think the theory behind that was force Tatum into the mid post and uh, keep him off the three-point line so as not to allow him to get going from three where he's so devastating because with Lowry on him in the perimeter, Tatum, that sort of neutralizes Tatum's ability uh, to play in the pick and roll and to play isolation because Lowry moves his feet so well. I just can't see Tatum really exposing Lowry on the perimeter. So, you know, they, what I imagine they were thinking was let's get Tatum to recognize that try and go into the mid post where he's uh, slightly less efficient and slightly less devastating. And we'll live with that. Also, I loved what Marcus Smart did throughout the game. Um, obviously, Marcus was huge on offense, hitting uh, five three-pointers after hitting only two or three throughout the whole Sixers series. Uh, but that's Marcus. You know, Anybody who watches the Celtics understands that Marcus is very much feast or famine. When he's missing, he's off, and he might be off for weeks. But when he's on, something clicks in his shot. I mean, he's an 84% free throw shooter. So it's not like his shot is broken. It's just for whatever reason, maybe it's because he's working so hard on defense that he doesn't have his legs or uh, there's just a mechanical issue with his shot. But when he's on, he can really fill it up. And there's a reason why at the beginning of, I believe it was this year, everything's all messed up with uh, Corona and everything that's been going on. But I'm pretty sure Marcus started the this year at around 40% from three. And then he had that one stretch that brought him back down to around his career average. But Marcus has just been, you know, this this is just kind of par for the course with Marcus. He'll either be really cold or really hot, and that might go week to week or might go game to game. So Marcus uh, was absolutely the MVP of the game. Um, I thought he did a wonderful job on defense. He, he was pesky as all hell. Um, he fought. He, he did all the Marcus smart things that you want culminating with that great steal on Fred Van Vliet in transition to set up that Robert Williams ridiculous uh, windmill dunk. Now, looking at what the Raptors were doing and what Nick Nurse was doing, um, I was texting with some of my buddies and we were talking about the adjustments that Nurse might make to try and uh, crack the code of Brad Stevens. And, you know, what I was kind of expecting to see was a little bit more small ball with maybe a Lowry, Van Vliet, Powell, Siakam and maybe even like a Hollis Jefferson out there. Um, you know, they ended up, they ended up not playing that. They went a little bit bigger. Um, they brought that, that one guy off the bench. What's his name? I can't even remember his name right now, but he had a couple threes and I thought that nurse, you know, moving forward, he, he has this reputation for being willing to try anything on defense to switch up his coverages. You know, they started the game, first possession in the zone. They went back to that zone a few times. And normally in a zone, you want to put a little bit of more length on the court, which is why they started going with some bigger lineups with uh, Gasol, Siakam, and Ibaka all on the court at the same time. But I could really see the Raptors giving the Celtics a little bit more issues with a smaller lineup. Now, one lineup I'm worried about, 
and I don't want to see this lineup at any point in the series, but I'm worried about a Lowry, Van Vliet, Siakam, Ibaka, and Boucher lineup. That is one lineup that I think could really, really give the Celtics issues because they're long. Uh, Ibaka and Boucher can both shoot the three. They're both devastating around the rim uh, with shot blocking. Boucher is also great at diving to the rim. And I think that lineup is a lineup to watch out for. I don't know. I don't have the numbers or how often Nick Nurse has played that lineup throughout the year. But to me, that's a lineup I'm worried about if I'm Brad Stevens because I don't know what I counter that with. Um, am I willing to keep my small ball lineup of Kemba, Smart, Jalen, um, Tatum, and Tice on the court? Do I then have to maybe play a little bit more Grant Williams? Do I play a little bit more Robert Williams against Boucher? And who knows how that matchup goes. But that's just something I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, some of the adjustments that Nick Nurse might make and some of the lineups that he might try. And think back to the Celtics, you know, kind of going back and forth here. But I really uh, I, I really think that our depth and our athleticism, maybe not our scoring punch, but our athleticism defensively, our defensive depth off the bench is tailor-made to combat what the Raptors do well. Um, Brad Wanamaker gets a lot of shit from Celtics fans, but the guy is a rock on defense, and he's not going to – let Kyle Lowry body him. He's not going to let Van Vliet do Van Vliet things against him. And if he gets switched on to someone bigger, like a Siakam, he can definitely hold his own. Uh, Semi Ojale, I thought also did a great job on Siakam in the post. He, you know, he's been known as a Giannis stopper in the past and Siakam and Giannis have very similar games. I think uh, Siakam probably tries to post like traditional post a little bit more than Giannis does. But Ojale was, you know, he was built to guard a guy like Siakam. He's, he's a brick wall on defense. He moves his feet well. Uh, Siakam, he's so um, he's so long and he's so athletic that most threes that try and cover him get overwhelmed by his size and athleticism, and that's just not going to happen to Semi, especially because Siakam's like a Giannis light and Semi holds his own. Well, that's what Celtics fans like to think he does against Giannis. Looking forward to game two. I'm just really happy with the room for growth that the Celtics have going into game two. Although we won the game by 18 points, I think anybody that's been watching the Celtics all year understood that that was not a great offensive game by any stretch of the imagination. But I don't necessarily think that this series is going to be won on the offensive end. Um, the Raptors, just like the Celtics, have a lot of guys that are tailor-made to guard our guys. Uh, OG Ananobi on Jalen is a matchup that I want to keep watching because I thought Ananobi did a good job, just eye test. I don't have any numbers in front of me, but I, I always thought that he did a really good job uh, just kind of sticking with Brown. Once again, sort of how Semi guards uh, Siakam well, I think Ananobi is made to guard Jalen, where Jalen can't just blow past him. He's not stronger than Ananobi and what we don't see a lot of Jalen doing is being a shot creator off the dribble against great defenders. We often see Jalen in playing off the ball, spotting up for three, or uh, being fortunate enough that the third best defender is normally guarding him. 
where see, um, you know, the best defender will be on Tatum, second best defender will be on Kemba, and then whoever is left over will guard Jalen. Ananobi guarding Jalen is a problem because Ananobi is pretty close to a number one defender on most teams. And if Jalen thinks that he's going to be able to just get off against Ananobi, you might see some inefficient Jalen Brown in this series. And that's where I think the absence of Gordon Hayward is really going to show up because I think Gordon Hayward would have been the guy to either be an outlet if Jalen's getting locked down or to draw the attention of someone like Ananobi so Jalen can continue to thrive in that uh, secondary tertiary role. Another thing to think about in game two is the three-point shooting. Uh, I think the difference in the game was that the Celtics hit three-pointers and the Raptors didn't. I don't think you're going to see – the Raptors' uh, eye test, I remember I don't have any stats in front of me right now, but just watching that game, uh, seemed like a lot of the Raptors' three-pointers were just short. A lot of the free throws were uncharacteristically missed by the Raptors, including I remember Lowry at one point bricked two free throws. You don't see that very often. So I would imagine that game one was more – of an anomaly than the norm. And I would expect game two to be a lot closer because I think the Celtics are going to come back down to par shooting three pointers and hitting shots. And I think the Raptors are going to go back up a little bit. Now the, that's why I said earlier, defense is such an important part of the series because although the Raptors did miss shots, I thought the Celtics did a good job contesting shots. So if the Celtics continue to contest shots, those three-pointers that may have gone down a little bit easier against Brooklyn and other teams in the bubble are not going to go down as easily against the Celtics because the Celtics are up in people's jerseys. They don't give people room to shoot. And we have such long, aggressive defenders that are willing to close out and make and make those shots on the perimeter a little bit more difficult. Uh, so that's what I think is going to – be the key in game two and moving forward is one, the um, statistics kind of coming back to the averages. And also, is that just a statistical thing? Or is that a product of the defensive pressure that the Celtics are able to put on the Raptors? And vice versa, are the Raptors going to be able to influence shot on the perimeter so that the Celtics are not getting these open looks? And will the Raptors strategy of being okay, allowing Marcus Smart to be the shooter, be the open shooter, um, continue to pay dividends for the Celtics if Marcus keeps hitting those shots or will the Raptors get their return on investment with uh, allowing the worst shooter on the floor to take the three-pointer. So that's it for this rapid reaction to game one. I'm looking forward to game two. So we'll have another rapid reaction pod up after that game. And hopefully we can get uh, one of my buddies on this week. I'm looking at you, Will. I'm looking at you, Mark. Hopefully we can get uh, another voice on here to have a more in-depth discussion about what's going on in the NBA and what's happening in the Celtics Raptor series. So to play you out, once again, my band, Black Sheep Optimist, this is The Path. Everything I got, make the most of it. No coasting here. I've been reaching for the top and I'm almost there. The road is clear. No more waiting for the drop, but the base hit hard. From the start, shoot the fire for the shooting stars. So they shout my name like, oh.